0: Well, here we are, another week in our relationship series and how good has it been so far? Just so been so appreciative of what Mick shared two weeks ago when he talked about how we can be influencing generations for Christ. And then last week, Glenda unpacked how we can be healthy in our marriages. And it's been a really good series. And today I'm continuing that series. I'm going to be talking about how we can have healthy families And I want to say right from the start that uh, there's a risk in this message that I'm about to bring is that especially in the current time when we're in lockdown and there's a certain intensity that goes with that in our family units, there's a bit of a risk there that what I'm about to say might make people feel even worse about things than what they currently do. That's not my intention. I want to be really clear about that. In fact, I believe there's amazing grace and freedom that we have access to in Jesus. And I hope today, and my plan is to direct you to that grace and to that freedom when it comes to how we relate together as families. Apostle Paul writes to the Colossian church in uh, chapter 3, verse 18 to 21, and he gives us what is known as the household codes. That is the, I guess there's some certain guidelines that Paul's giving us, some, some regulations, if you like, in terms of how we're to operate as family units. And so I want to read it out to you just right now. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 to 21, which says this. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. husbands. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Now, one of the things I like to do, and I guess I like to do it a lot when we're in these lockdown times because there's actually not much you can do, and it gets me out of the house each day, is that I go for a bike ride. And within my five-kilometre bubble, I've got a little loop that I do. It's about a 10-kilometre loop, and I can do it twice if I need to ride a bit longer. Usually I will do it twice, sometimes three times. It's got a nice little hill as it heads up to Macrae. But but each ride takes in this view, which I've got up on the screen right now. This is Anthony's nose in Macrae, uh, 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 where the cliff face almost goes right out into the bay, uh, and the road and the bay almost come together. And it's the, the most magnificent view, actually, as you can look back towards the city sky. Line and the Yu Yangs. Now I love my bike riding and one of the reasons that I particularly like riding down on the Mornington Peninsula is that there are many roads that have bike lanes, especially that Nepean Road, the beach road there, has has a bike lane. And what I've learned is that that generally bike riders and car drivers have an agreement. Uh, It's an agreement at least that's uh, put in place by certain road rules but the agreement is that there's a bike line bike lane. And if the bike riders stay in their lane, the bike lane, and if the car drivers stay in their lane, the car lane, then all is well. It's great. It works really well and it's safe and it's enjoyable for both car driver and bike rider. Now the car driver might say, but this doesn't fully uh, indicate the freedom that I have. Maybe I want to be totally free here and I want to ride where, or drive wherever I want, so I'm going to drive in the bike lane because that's a bit closer to the water and I'm going to get a better view that way. Well, of course, we know what would happen. So just what, because one person wants to express a fuller freedom, it may mean that it impinges on the freedom of others. Now in this household code that Paul is exploring here we have to understand that to the original hearers the Colossian church this would have been absolutely revolutionary and counterculture countercultural in the sense that in Paul's day it was an incredibly patriarchal society that means that the man the father had absolute freedom He could go in whatever lane he wanted and it didn't matter. It was considered his right, his entitlement to have freedom. Now the oldest son had pretty much similar freedom too, especially as he grew up and being the eldest son, he was given a great deal of freedom. But but if you were the wife or if you were the younger children, you had no freedom whatsoever. You were subservient. And you were there to serve the husband or the father in whatever way they chose or they wanted. And so when Paul comes here and he starts by writing, first of all, that wives are submit uh, to submit to their husbands. Well, well, everyone in Paul's day would have gone, yeah, okay, that's right. That's how it should be. But then in the next line, he says... Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And then a little while later, he's saying, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. But Paul is doing something here. He is nurturing a space where there is greater freedom for all within the family unit. What Paul is doing is pushing the Colossian church here towards this space where every person in the family unit has a voice, every person has dignity. Every person needs to have a freedom, a lane in which they can ride or drive in. So when we take this passage and we start to transplant it into our culture, what does it say to our culture today? Well, it's true to say that in our culture, we have many of the freedoms in our family units that weren't there in Paul's day. As a general rule in our families today, all family members have a voice. It's not considered that wives need to be absolutely subservient to husbands anymore. They don't need to wait on their every whim. As a little joke this week, I suggested to my wife and my kids that for Father's Day today, uh, a great present would be to, to to have a 1950s Father's Day, just a, a normal 1950s Father's Day. And, and what I imagined that to be, and so I explained it to Kate and the kids, was that I would get to sit in the couch or the comfy chair for the day. Uh, they would bring the, the newspaper to me. Uh, they would bring the, my, my breakfast and then my lunch and my dinner. Uh, they would bring my slippers at night. Uh, they would just wait on me hand and foot for the whole day. Uh, That's my understanding of at least what it was like for 1950s husbands and fathers. It's fair to say this didn't go across very well in my family. Even for just one day, they said, no way, that's not happening, dad, you've got buckleys. And so as we transplant this passage, and as we consider the space that Paul was trying to nurture, this this greater voice, this greater freedom within families, we must realise already that To a certain extent, that exists right now for us, which is great. But there still are things that I believe this passage would speak to in terms of our family units. Now, the first one is that I believe what this passage would say to us is that we need to be ensuring that we replace harshness with kindness. Now I used to work in the construction industry and just prior to going in the construction industry my wife was Kate was always getting into me about how dry my hands were and And I never thought they were that dry. You know, I I didn't think they were that bad. But then I started working in the construction industry. And and when you've got your hands in concrete and you're using your hands all day and they're they're working with other chemicals and all of that sort of stuff, your hands get incredibly dry and and they start to crack, especially during winter. At the end of your fingers, they get all cracked and it's really painful and uncomfortable. And so all of a sudden, I I started listening to Kate and and I started applying moisturizing cream. And what this moisturising cream did is that it took away the harshness in my hands. It made them soft and it, and it brought healing and a gentleness to my hands. Now, Kate was certainly appreciative of that. But I learnt that it was actually a better way to do this. Well, it says in this passage that we're not to treat other family members with harshness. And what often happens, and I think especially so during these times of lockdown where there's an intensity that happens, is that it is very easy to fall into that trap of just being harsh in our language towards others. And I think what Paul's saying is, no, 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 replace that harshness with kindness. And it's been true, and I've certainly experienced this in my own family unit. I don't come to you today as someone that I guess, has it all together in this area. In fact, I don't. Uh, We have moments in our family where we have uh, great harshness in our language towards each other. Uh, We also have moments in our family where there's great kindness in our language together. Sometimes we have many of those moments in each and every single day, actually. But it's true to say the more we nurture kindness, the more we speak with kindness, the easier it is for there to be greater health, a greater unity, a greater sense of coming together within our families. So that's the first thing I think Paul would say to us today. The second one is that we need to resolve conflict, not avoid it. We need to resolve conflict. Not avoid it. Now, we all know that passage in Ephesians that talks about not letting the sun go down on your anger. And there's some great truth in that passage, actually. I think what Paul's trying to say is that we need to make sure that we don't leave conflict unresolved. Now, when I got married to Kate and we came together as a husband and wife, it's fair to say that we brought to our relationship the way in which our families of origin had resolved conflict. So the way my family resolves conflict, my family of origin, is that we would have a a very robust conversation, Uh, sometimes with raised voices, and and, and it was just part of the way we dealt with things in our family. If there was an issue, we would deal with it straight away. It would be a robust conversation, and as a general rule, we'd move on pretty quick. But there were times where there was a real harshness of language, and, and that wasn't really the right way to resolve conflict. Now, Kate's family had a very different approach, that the higher priority in Kate's family was for there to be peace, for there to be absence of conflict. And so Kate had a bit of a propensity to to move away from conflict, to to not go to it, whereas my propensity was to go to it and and to go into that debate. And so we didn't do very well in the early days of our married life at, at resolving conflict. I would want to resolve it and I would want to resolve it now and I would be robust in my language and and even a bit assertive in it And, and Kate would be going, no, she'd be going in the opposite direction and running away from it and this would infuriate me even more. And instead of a coming together, more often than not, we continued to do this. We learnt that we needed to create a language within our family that helped us to resolve conflict. Now, one of the things that I tend to do in conflict is that I will come at the person that I'm having a conflict with, with accusatorial statements. I'll say, you did this, or you did that, you shouldn't have done that. And, And what that does is that I make the statement, for a moment I might feel a little bit better about myself, but in the reality, it gives the other person little choice, but other to respond back and fire back or to run away completely. It doesn't help in resolving conflict. So instead of accusatorial statements, I've learned, and Kate's learned as well, that we need to make feeling statements. Statements that say, when this happened, it made me feel a bit like this. Or when that happened, this is what it felt like to receive that. And we developed this language around that. And it meant that Kate had a language that she could come to me and, 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 and bring a conflict situation to me. And also I had a language that I could come to her that would mean we could come towards a resolution of the conflict without us moving away or just banging into each other. It helped us to resolve the conflict rather than avoid it. The third thing that I think Paul would, would say to us, Uh, from this passage into our context today, is that we need to release our grudges so that we can bear each other's burdens. We need to release our grudges so that we can bear each other's burdens. Now, Nelson Mandela Mandela was put in jail for 27 years, an innocent man, and and incarcerated unjustly. And upon walking out of jail, when he was released, when the, the South African apartheid started to fall down, Mandela was interviewed and he was asked about how he felt about those that had kept him captive, those that had perpetrated this great injustice against him. And he started to talk about unforgiveness. And he said, unforgiveness is like the poison that you drink yourself expecting someone else to die. And I think it's true. When we hold on to a grudge, What we're doing, it's like an ivy on a tree. It just sort of gets in and it grows in and it it grows around and ends up sort of strangling something within us. And what happens if we hold on to grudges is that we don't have any space. We don't have any capacity to instead bear bear each other's burdens. And it's so true, isn't it, that in a healthy family unit, the other family member, their win will be your win and their loss will be your will be your loss. And, but if we're holding on to those grudges, it doesn't create room for that. It moves us away from family health. So where do we finish up? Where does this leave us? And, and it, I guess I want to come to a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 7. It's right at the end of a whole uh, three chapters actually of Jesus's teaching, which started uh, on the Sermon of the Mount. And there's some great wisdom amongst this whole section of the Gospel of Matthew. And right at the end of it, he finishes up and he talks about family. And he talks about the fact that, you know, as a father... Um, how is it? how likely is it that if your child comes and asks for some bread that you're going to give them some stone? Or if they come and ask you for a fish, that you would give them a snake? And he's talking about that the father just has this burden to do what is right by their children. And he uses this as an illustration of his love for us. And he says just as a father would do these For his kids, how much more would your heavenly father do for you? And we are in challenging times right now. And one of the challenges is the challenge that this time of extended lockdown is causing on family health and family, our family units. And I want to encourage you with this passage in Matthew chapter 7, uh, where Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. If you're having some challenges in your family unit right now, if the health within your family is not where you would like it to be, then take this passage from Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 this week. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you desire for us to be healthy in our families. That that, that 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul sat down and he wrote a letter to the Colossian Church and he outlined what this health in families actually looks like. and, And you also spoke of how we can have health in our families and how that's a reflection of your love for us. And so, Lord, I thank you for the love that you have for us. Thank you that you do say, Ask, and it will be given to you. And today, Lord, we hold in our heart, many of us, a burden and a concern for our own families. Recognizing the intensity and the challenge of this current time, we give that to you now. We ask and we seek. We request that that door be opened to greater and improved health in our families. That we would come out of this time not having been torn apart or not having been avoiding necessary conflict, not having a harshness of language and words to each other, Lord. But I pray that we would come out of this having bared each other's burdens. Help us to come out of it, not just surviving, Lord, but thriving in our families, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.